The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Geeks, and welcome to another edition of Wizards Half. This is mini-episode 45.5, and of course these are the episodes where we get into all the other stuff we didn't have time to talk about on the main episode. Are you tired of hearing me say the nitty-gritty details? Ooh, gotta get into it. So I hope that you enjoyed our conversation with Rob Graham and Michael May of the After Lunch podcast. It was a really, really fun time, as you could tell from all the laughs on that episode. Of course, we got a lot more coming up on this mini episode as we have another Robin's Reading Rainbow covering those bad girls. But first, let's check in on Cap's Kooky Contests. All right, this first one says ticked off. Every young boy wants to dress in spandex and hang around grown men who do the same. And by golly, that's what this contest is all about. But first, here's what you can win. There's a picture of the tick standing with a tick grappling hook gun holding a tick action figure. He says, it's a plastic replica of me. Life is good. And then the toy itself is saying, grip too tight, must break free. And then Arthur's on the other page. Can I enter too? Anyway, the grand prize. The winner will lay his or her hands on one of every single tick toy out there, all from Bandai America, including 11 three-inch action figures, Tick, Arthur, American Made, The Human Bullet, Sewer Urchin, Chairface, Chippendale, Dinosaur Neil, The Crusading Chameleon, El Seed, Dean, and Dynamo, 10 six-inch figures, Bounding Tick, Fluttering Arthur, Cape Furling, Deflighter Mouse, Sewer Spray, Sewer Urchin, Project human bullet, man-eating cow, death hug Dean, exploding dynamo, grasping L-seed and dinosaur Neil, six wind-ups, Time Bomb Dynamo, Cannon Human Bullet, Hard Drive and Tick, Wing Flutter and Arthur, Submarine Sewer Urchin, and Crop Dust and L Seed, and the 16-inch Talking Tick figure. Whoa, Nelly! So, I gotta say, this is of particular interest to me, because of late, my 8-year-old son and I have been on a Tick bender. I mean, I bought all the seasons on DVD, we got a special book called Tick Mighty Blue Justice, plus I was able to pick up the Tick Tick sticker album, you know, those old Panini sticker albums from back in the day. Found that at RetroCon along with some Tick Bendem figures and some of the smaller figurines that are not part of this giveaway. So I wish I could go back in time and win these for him right now because I'd be one cool dad. But uh, let's see what else they tell us about this contest. Pretty happening stuff, huh? Anyway, here's the story. The Tick is ticked off at his hopeless sidekick Arthur and is frantically looking for a replacement. What you've got to do is create a brand new sidekick kick for the tick using anything you have around the house. It could be parts of other toys, Play-Doh, deviled ham, heck, whatever floats your boat. But the fun doesn't stop there though. After you're done making the bugger, we want a bio sheet that includes a superhero name, secret identity, age, height, weight, powers. This six-part section should total 50 words or less, and origin, 50 words or less. And remember, we're looking for the most original creation, so don't hold back. After you wrap all that up, take a photo of your creation. No Polaroids and focus. Repeat, no Polaroids and focus. That's 
send that along with your character bio and the tick entry coupon below to the tick sidekick contest. Now I'm going to assume this is in response to the tick having little wooden boy because why did they think he needed a new sidekick? But this also reminds me when they're telling you you can make it out of anything. Whatever happened to that pit meat contest from a few issues back? You remember? You had to create a sculpture of pit using actual meat? We haven't had any reports on that in the pages of Wizard yet. I hope that's coming up soon. All right, now let's get into the fine print. Contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Press, their immediate families, and anybody who hasn't seen the Tick cartoon. Man, that thing is one of the best things on TV. Go set your VCR. All right, and the next one here says, Offer void were prohibited, regulated, or restricted by law in a manner inconsistent with the purpose and rules hereof. William Shatner is fat. That's the comment. Wow. And that actually makes me think of a callback to this sketch on John Leguizamo's Fox TV network sketch comedy show in the 90s called House of Buggin', where they were watching Star Trek Generations in a movie theater. And he is saying, Kirk's not fat, he's just bloated. Nah, nah, nah. Riker is bloated. Kirk is fat, man. He's like pig fat. Like, that was the thing to make fun of in the 90s at this time. It's just William Shatner was fat. Well, he's been to space, and you haven't. On to the next contest. Here's what they say. We need your help. Hey, we're buying a video game system for the office, and with the nearly 6 billion ones out there, we're not sure which one's the best. That's where you come in. Tell us what video game system we should buy and why. Which one's got the coolest graphics? What system has all the best games? Which has the best accessories? Tell us everything you think we need to know in 100 words, give or take a few, and we'll show you our appreciation for your much-needed advice. How? Well, if you could explain to us which is the best game to buy and why, and your entry is one of the five most helpful, we'll send you a video game system. No matter which game we end up buying for ourselves, if your entry is chosen, you will win one of the following game systems. A Super NES, a Sega Genesis, a Sega CD, a 3DO, or a Jaguar. So anyways, in order to be eligible to win one of them cool systems, and please note that we'll randomly select which system each winner receives, we're not taking requests. And if you already have the game you win, tough cookies. You gotta take a couple minutes out of your day and fill out the survey thingy on the next page, which includes the big question. Honestly, any of these systems now, if you had them, especially the 3DO, and my understanding is that is worth some bucks just based on its rarity. So, I mean, if you had any of these systems just lying around from this contest, even if you didn't want to play it, you could make some big bucks today. But let's check out what the Wizard Video Game Survey is all about. Do you currently own a video game system? If so, which one? So, at this time in 95, I owned a Super Nintendo. It was the last game system I ever bought in the 90s. How long have you owned your system? At that point, it had been two to three years. Here's the big question. With everything you know about video systems, which game system do you think we should buy and why? Personally, in my opinion, I probably would have suggested that they buy Sega Genesis, and it would have 100% just been based on the fact that they were always talking about playing Mortal Kombat, and it just seems like for their competitions, like the best graphics, the actual blood, all those things, for these violent video games, the Sega Genesis would have been the way to go just based on that and the library of games. And then they say, how many video games do you own? And they ask, is it computer, cartridge, or CD-ROM? On average, how often do you buy new video games? Every week, every two weeks, every month, every two to three months, every four to six months, less often. I was definitely an every four to six 
six months. It would just be like maybe a birthday, maybe a holiday, but I was not a hardcore gamer. I was just like, eh, I want to have it because everybody else has it. Which are the two most important factors in deciding what game system to buy? So they mentioned price, expandability, cool graphics capability, games available, my opinion, my parents' opinion, my brother and sister's opinion, my friends have it. Other. Uh, I'd put it somewhere in my friends have it and the games available because ultimately if it just had a cool game I wanted to play, then I would buy it. On average, how much time per week do you spend playing video games? For me, it was probably like three hours a week on a weekend where I would rent a game from Blockbuster Video and play it and be like, oh, well, I guess that I just wasted my money because I'm not good at this game. Do you have a computer at home? Yes, I had a computer at home. If yes, which type? Mac, IBM? So we definitely had an IBM computer at this point. Is your computer equipped with a CD-ROM? No. I was always behind the times. Uh, What do you use your computer for? Home entertainment, video games, schoolwork, educational, business, going online? Yeah, definitely home entertainment and the occasional video games. I was playing like Wolfenstein 3D and stuff on it. (laughs) Are you planning on purchasing a video game system with the next six months no. After the Super NES, I was just like, wow, I really don't use these things. I'm going to spend my money on comics. All right, now let's get into all of our legal bites. You know, like bits and bites in a video game system. Here's what it says. Contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Press, their immediate families, and those cashiers who flip large game system boxes around to find the UPC code instead of just typing in the price. Apparently, they were worried about damage to the system that they were purchasing at that moment in time. Offer void were prohibited regulated or restricted by law in a manner inconsistent with the purpose and rules hereof. I'm not the king of comedy. I'm not your magazine. I'm not your television. I'm not your movie screen. I'm not commodity. And for a minute there, I thought they were quoting the theme song to Shawn Michaels' Sexy Boy. I'm not your boy toy. I'm not, <laughs> I don't know. That's where my mind went. On to the next contest. Now, this is an interesting one. The Birthquake Hits Your Home, Part 1. Take an already successful company, throw in eight fan-favorite artists, and you've got one hot bunch of books. From Exo Manowar by Bart Sears to The Visitor by Bernard Chang, the folks at Acclaim Comics have signed on a load of hot artists to commemorate the excitement-heavy, change-filled, Birthquake, and they're willing to share these artists with you. Here's the story. If you're one of this month's two randomly drawn winners, you'll be spending a day with a star. An acclaimed artist will fly to your hometown, and then you'll spend the rest of the day hanging out, traveling around your town, taking in lunch and dinner, and having a blast. You'll definitely get to know each other, and you'll be the talk of your neighborhood. On top of everything, Acclaim will set up a signing at your local comic shop. You'll sit with and schmooze with the artists throughout the entire signing. This will be one exciting, memorable day. This is weird. There's So there's this picture of Bloodshot who seems to be like in the bullpen of a claim. He's holding this giant gun on all the artists. There's all these drawing boards and he says, okay, which of you visionaries came up with the long blinding bangs? So I guess the new redesign for Bloodshot included bangs which I was unaware of. Now here's how you win this Pulse Pounding prize. This issue and next, we'll show you exclusive illustrations by some of the eight top name acclaim artists from Valiant. Bart Sears, Norm Brayfogle, Bernard Chang, Rags Morales, Mike Manley, Paul Glenn, Lacey and Dan Jurgens, and from the new Windjammer imprint, Val Mayeric. Each artist's picture includes himself and his favorite character in his well-known style. You comic knowledge overachievers should have no problem identifying the artist who drew each picture and where he is in the picture, and you'll get another chance next month. Okay, so I already described that bloodshot image. Hmm, I'm just wondering now who this could be. Definitely not Rags Morales, not Dan Jurgens, not, well, I guess it could be Norm Brayfogle. He 
does some kind of weird illustrations, but again, I don't think so. Uh, next one here is Solar, Man of the Atom, appearing on Abbey Road as the Beatles are walking by, and then the artist himself is peeking out from in front of Ringo. So I don't know, again, who the artist is on this one, so we'll post these to social media. Let us know if you can identify who the artist is of these particular images, and apparently we'll be back next issue with another one. Alright, let's get into the legal stuff here. So a little behind the scenes for you guys here. The fine print keeps getting smaller and smaller in these issues. And I have to like actually take a picture and then expand it on my phone because it's so hard to read. Contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Press, Acclaim Comics, their immediate families, and people who celebrate half birthdays. Get real. <laughs> I have actually never known anybody to celebrate a half birthday, but it sounds like a good gig if you can get people to buy into it. Offer void were prohibited, regulated or restricted by law in a manner inconsistent with the purpose and rules hereof. Anyone remember the cesarean lizard birth scene in the original V TV movie? Not something to eat dinner by. <laughs> Well, just thinking about V, I will send a shout out to our guest on this mini episode, Charlton Hero, Chris Bailey. He loves him some V. All right, but before we get to that, let's check out one more contest. This one will kill ya. Hey, nothing's more fun, especially around April Fool's Day, than having a good time at someone else's expense. And that's what this contest is all about. So pull up a chair and start scheming, because here's what you can win. By the way, on this page, we've got Batman and the Joker standing back to back. And this is Batman and Joker from the animated series. So let's see what's going on here. Grand prize. One winner walks off with a fine-looking animation cell of Batman and the Joker mounted onto a limited edition storyboard from the Laughing Fish episode of Batman the Animated Series and signed by the actor who plays the clown prince of crime himself, Mark Hamill. It's a snappy prize, Bat fans. Wow, you're not kidding, wizard. I mean, if somebody had that today, that is huge. And here's how you can win. In 50 words or less, typed or neatly handwritten, describe to us a practical joke that takes a little bit of creativity and a whole lot of cleverness. We're talking a physical joke using several contrasts that connect to each other in a chain reaction sort of process. If you've ever seen the Tom and Jerry, Wile E. Coyote Roadrunner, or Roger Rabbit cartoons, you know what we mean. Someone steps on a switch, which sets off a whole slew of contraptions, finally causing a bucket of water to unload itself onto the victim. So we're looking for wild, complex, not necessarily possible jokes here. We're not looking for the Joker's type of whoppers, though. Don't make your jokes dangerous or deadly. Any entries deemed by the judges to be obscene, illegal, or dangerous will be disqualified, bucko. Now, whatever the joke is, we don't want you actually creating the masterpiece or setting it off on anyone. All we want is the description. If you want to help us visualize the joke, you can draw a blueprint of it above the text. That'd be a cool addition to your entry. Once you've got all that cooked up, stuff the joke attached to the coupon below in an envelope and mail the sucker off to Jokes on You Contest. Now, let's get into the laughable legal lingo. Contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Press, their immediate families, and the entire Funt family. We thought it would be funny if we... The Funt family? Alright guys, you're gonna have to tell me who the Funts are. That does not ring a bell to me. I don't know if that was just something in the news at the time, or if it had something more to do with like an old movie or something. Alright, here we go. Any entries deemed by the judges to be illegal or dangerous will be immediately disqualified. Decision of the judges is final. One of our favorite practical jokes is lifting the seat of a toilet, wrapping the opening with saran wrap, then putting the seat back down. It especially aggravates the ladies. 
please. Oh, come on. Come on, wizard. <laughs> so we will find out if that ever happened in the wizard offices one of these days, I'm sure. But speaking of the ladies, ooh, one who would definitely get her revenge if you tried pulling that joke on her. It's time that we get into the next segment, so take it away, me. All right, well, here we are with another edition of Robin's Reading Rainbow, welcoming back our guest who has become a part of what we're going to continue to cover. Yes, those bad girls. Ooh, last time around, we were talking She by Billy Tucci, and wouldn't you know it, we got the creator of She coming around, wanted to talk to us in more detail about our comments. So I think it's time that Chris Bailey, a.k.a. Charlton Hero, gives us his thoughts on Lady Death. Oh. You know for a fact that nothing screams hot ladies than Charlton Hero. Wait, 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 wait. That's your brand, yeah. Yeah, that's my brand, apparently. <laughs> I've been shoehorned into the uh, the the hot lady situation. I, and I, you know what? I'm okay with that. So Lady Death became a big deal in 1994. So all throughout the issues that we've been covering on the main episodes, she's kind of been in the background. On the mini episodes, you've heard me mention her as part of the top 10 heroes and villains list. So she's been there. There was even a Lady Death half issue that they already released through Wizard at this time. And she had her own three-issue miniseries, which is now leading into this four-part series called Between Heaven and Hell. This is what Wizard had to say when they were talking about the first issue. In the picks from the Wizard's hat section, it got a whole page to itself, okay? <laughs> they mentioned here, Lady Death makes her triumphantly top-heavy return this month to face off against Purgatory. Lucifer's X-Main squeeze. Readers are going to learn that Purgatory is a very very bad girl, says writer Brian Polito. This series will show why Lucifer had to ban her from hell and why she's so totally out of control. As Our Lady deals with that, she also meets a former ally who now faces her as an enemy, and she must fend off a horrific mental attack when she loses control of the Eternal Graveyard and is forced to relive the most nightmarish moments from her former life as Hope, the demure medieval daughter of Matthias. New readers can jump right in as the plot of this Chromium-covered issue will explain much of Lady Death's past and recap where she's been. But Logtime fans will have their familiarity pay off too. Key events from Lady Death Half, a wizard exclusive, will play a pivotal role. By series end, readers will realize they've seen only the tip of the iceberg on this story so far. Quote, The last issue will provide a hint of who her true adversaries are, Polito reveals. The entire momentum of the two miniseries and what she's been about for the last 400 years stands in direct opposition to higher gods, who reveal themselves at last. The four-issue monthly series will skip April to ensure that issues ship as scheduled, but Polito vows more stories will be following quickly. The first year, we got away with not having her in the market too much, but we can't get away with that anymore, he admits. She's too popular to not to be coming out regularly. We've got her future mapped out for years, and she's got some pretty interesting stuff coming up. Wow, boy, that's setting the table right there, Mr. Pope. What was your familiarity with Lady Death at this time? Is this your first read-through of a Lady Death comic? You know what? I believe I have maybe possibly two Lady Death comics in my entire collection. However, I don't have I ever read those? I don't I don't know if I ever did, Adam. <laughs> 
But I tell you what, I do remember Evil Ernie. So, you know, Chaos Comics, you know, different brands, different publishers were a big deal to me back in the day. So if there was anything that were new on the shelves, I would definitely collect it. And, you know, Wizard was guiding my purchases at this time. So if Wizard pumped it up, I was looking for it. And they, they really pumped the gas on Lady Death number one, especially. But I never, ever did get issue number one. Now, you know, I've, I've creeped it a couple times online and took a took a read through of it. But this was my first full fledged run through of Lady Death. And uh, boy, it was uh, it was really something. <laughs> Same for me. You know, it's like I maybe came across a few issues of back issue bids that I've grabbed recently, but definitely not back in the day, just because I wanted to have some familiarity because she was such an icon of this era. She really felt like she was the first breakthrough, you know, bad girl in that way. But I didn't know all that much about her, except that, you know, I watched the anime uh, that they made a movie of her uh, last year. I checked that out finally. So I was like, OK, I sort of know what she's about, but I did go back and read the first three issue miniseries and like it said there in that that wizard explanation everything you learn there where she's basically just giving her origin is recapped in the heaven and hell series you mentioned evil ernie well that's where she debuted right so evil ernie his whole premise is that he's this kid named ernest fairchild horribly abused by his parents and then he basically gets access to lady death there was like this dream therapy he was going to and so she reached out to him and basically said kill for me and so then she was like giving him all this love and affection that he never got so then she gave him this power and transformed him into this like skeletal being in a leather jacket with his crazy little happy face pin then he went around slaughtering people because he was all about the mega death (laughs) (laughs) very cool so late lady death herself is one of those characters that as we figured out with she has a little bit more depth than i thought to be quite honest with you because you look at some of these covers and you're expecting a certain thing and then you're getting something completely different because I think the creative teams really take this into a much deeper level than I think, you know, maybe the the audience that they were uh, that were actually picking up the books were hoping for, maybe. <laughs> yeah, a lot of them probably didn't open the book to find out how much thought that they had put into the stories because essentially the reason Lady Death has tried to inspire Evil Ernie to kill as many people as possible is she was trapped in hell until everybody on Earth was dead. So that's why she's trying to get Evil Ernie to kill everybody on Earth, so she could go back. (laughs) That's her purpose. We learn that she was this young maiden, this virginal creature, you know, of the medieval times. Her father was this evil dude who wanted to rule hell, so he kept conscripting people from the villages that he ruled over so that they would go into battle, die, and then they would be his soldiers in hell. He was actually trying to upseat Lucifer, so, you know, he was he was sort of playing two hands here he was matthias like you said who was recruiting people in the village now he had a demonic sorcery background okay so behind the scenes people hadn't figured out that he had this spell over the people so he was recruiting people on the sly for hell with the thoughts of one day taking over hell from lucifer overall boy did that plan backfire yeah exactly and so you know we get into this situation where eventually because her father was evil and people hated him they turned on this girl hope and so she was seen as a witch because her boyfriend at the time actually like taught her about medical science and he's like no 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 you don't bleed people you have to lance the wound and all this stuff and so she does that to help this woman that cared for her and they're like she's a witch she's going against everything 
thing we know, so they burn her at the stake, but she remembers this incantation of her father's that got him sent down to hell when he was dying, so she does the same thing and goes to hell herself just because she wants to live, you know? Lucifer's like, ah, will you give me your soul? She's like, yes, I just want to live. So now <laughs> she's in hell, and that finding all about Lucifer, finding about what her father was really up to, and all these things, to the point where she essentially is so hardened by the experience, right? She goes through all this torture, all these terrible things, and then she ultimately like just raises herself up, kind of a phoenix out of the ashes, <laughs> with the warrior spirit, and she gets a sword forged for herself, <laughs> she gets a new attitude, a new wardrobe, and she goes on to uh, battle Lucifer, and in her mind she has destroyed Lucifer and absorbed his essence, and that is where this new series picks up. 400 years after that. And what's interesting, when I mean, a lot of this was covered in detail in Wizard, no question about it. I mean, I, you know, Purgatory, it was good to see these characters in play, what they stood for, and they really, really, like you said, the first miniseries, three issues, covers her origin. Once again, that origin is recapped, then you get Purgatory's <laughs> origin, then you get Lucifer's origin, and then we have a final battle. So there's a lot of origins going on, Adam. So many flashbacks! <laughs> They really want to tell their story. <laughs> yeah, everybody's going to get their moment in the spotlight. And you mentioned Purgatory. So obviously Lady Death, very iconic design. But I remember seeing the Purgatory books on the oh, shelf yeah. too. This red demon lady with wings and fangs. And I was always like, oh, Rob Zombie must love her. That was one character that hit Wizard World multiple times over and over. That cosplay uh, really, really took off during this time. And what an interesting character, Purgatory. So, you know, talk about a yin to a yang. Lady Death is known for her strength appearance, the long, flowing white hair, the white skin, the black gear, and then you have Purgatory, who's just, you know, the devil incarnate. She's a vampire, but she's not a regular vampire. No, she's one that doesn't want just human blood. No, she wants the devil himself's blood, so she can be more powerful, you know what I mean? So this is this is a vampire with an agenda, and she goes all the way, but real stark contrast and a really good foe for Lady Death. Yeah, it's interesting how she seduces the devil, right? Yes. Offers her herself in this ritual and he brings her down to hell and then right when he thinks he's uh, gonna score with purgatory <laughs> she just yep. takes a bite out of him he's like what the <laughs> uh, he really he really doesn't have uh, much luck in the scoring department i'll tell you that because no. a little bit later on in this series it's all building to the raging climax at the end of this book and newsflash he uh, doesn't score again so the poor guy is two for two here but it's so funny because purgatory like you say she's got this really interesting agenda where she just she wants the agitated blood of gods and so you know she gets a little bit of the taste of lucifer but he banishes her so she kind of disappears to this realm where i believe she went to mount olympus where she gets to feed on demigods but that's not enough and then she eventually breaks back through and lady death is starting to get all these visions right like that the things that she believed about her origin are not true that she was evil all the time she put it in her own head oh no no you said you were the sweet innocent thing but really you were in cahoots with your father you killed your own mother all these things yeah. and she's like oh, oh i can't no oh, i can't deal with it you know so we, yeah we do play a lot of games like you said everything you knew is not reality you know what i mean so they flip the script on lady death two to three times in this entire book to the point where she doesn't even know her origin you know what i mean and of course we get that sorted out there at the end but uh yeah i really like the way that purgatory played a lot of mind games with lady death made her think that you know the one person that she loved and dedicated her life to, uh, you know, her mother, who, you know, was so angelic, she had a spot chosen for her in heaven. But 
she was blocked from getting there. And now she's sort of lost in the dimension. And Lady Death is sort of, you know, really, really up in arms with that because, you know, that's the one person she cares about and wants to find, you know, where her mother actually went and to make sure she gets safe passage to Alderaan. I mean, heaven. <laughs> now, there's a phrase that is repeated, which is, in hell, desire equals power. So that's yes. like the mantra of Lucifer. That's the mantra of Lady Death. And that's where she thinks that she absorbed his power and that you know that's what purgatory's after basically she wants lady death's blood now and then lucifer himself shows up ha 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 i fooled all of you i wasn't god at all <laughs> you know? and you're like oh no and so he actually like destroys lady death's will and so he transforms her into lady demon yes which is another very striking visual she now she has the the gigantic horns her white skin has now become like blood red extremely great visual i loved it Badass. Yeah. Purgatory at one point says, you're wearing my wedding outfit. <laughs> so it's like Lady Death's outfit was originally Purgatory's before she got banished. <laughs> and so, of course, Lady Demon and Purgatory battle as well. And is it while she's Lady Demon that she sends Purgatory to Earth that she banishes her ultimately? I think it is, because we haven't talked about one of the things about this entire thing, which is the Nexus Gate. There exists this Nexus Gate where you can jump from dimension to dimension hell you can go from heaven to hell and that comes into play right at the end of the book now if you know anything about purgatory is that she is no fan of of earth you know what i mean she doesn't want to drink the blood of the earthlings it's beneath her you know what i mean so going to a place like earth is the very last place that she wants to end up and yeah just a total disgrace and by god does lady demon send her right back to earth so <laughs> in a heap uses that nexus gate to her advantage which we will see at the very end of this one too she uses to her advantage twice yeah and the nexus gate part of it is that lady death's mother's soul is like this thing that is like powering a portal essentially like yep. she, she, she's kind of like the thing that people are using to pass through so her soul has no rest because it's being used as a portal and uh, so it's really interesting finally lady death gets to have this heart to heart with her mother after all this time and she says like i'm so disappointed in you that you would just be the devil's you know play thing you know what it reminded me of during that speech it reminded me of that rocky speech from rocky five <laughs> i raised you better than that <laughs> yeah definitely I mean, what's interesting is like the mother uses her power because the other thing that's revealed is that lady death's father was of the 666th generation of like evil sorcerers or whatever yeah. but her mother is like the pure lineage like a heavenly lineage and so like it was it was that mix of the pure and the pure evil that makes lady death so special and so her mother is able to basically kind of cleanse her. She turns back to her white-skinned Lady Death self. But she then puts on the Lady Demon costume to deceive Lucifer. You know where we talk about continuity and, you know, we wonder how, you know, how these books are made. And, you know, our parts done in, in a certain time and then they come back to do us another part. Did they make a mistake here? Because, you know, they, they took her out of her Lady Demon gear. She transformed back into her regular white Lady Death self. But yet, the very next panel, she goes down, she's back in her demon gear, and I know she's in disguise this time, but... Uh didn't that seem like an elaborate way to go about that? Do you think that that was just a <laughs> chronological error that they had to, to adjust on the fly? Or what do you think there? 
Yeah, I mean, it is kind of strange, but I, I guess it's just in a way showing that she has more control over herself now, right? So now she's got her own mind, you know, she's settled in herself, and then she can use all these other abilities, you know, that, that Satan maybe, you know, that Lucifer, my bad. No Satan yes. in this book, it's all Lucifer. It's uh, all Lucifer. That uh, that uh, Lucifer has you know essentially bestowed upon her, so it's really interesting. It, yeah, yeah. It, it was the, it was they played up the entire scene really really well. So you know she was visited by her mother, and her mother gives her like I said the big Rocky speech and tells her that she's she's better than that. You you know you're better than that. And she turns back into Lady Death, only to just turn right back into Lady Demon. It just it just didn't play right. You know what I mean? The, yeah, the whole I see thing what just, you're it, saying. It didn't, it didn't sit right. I don't know. I'd I'd really like to ask the creator if that was just a uh, you know, oops, I didn't really I forgot that I did that part or I did this part beforehand and all that stuff. But one thing I found funny and I chuckled at was Satan was you know had plans to uh, have some relations with this lady. I think uh, so. He was waiting for her to you know finally come down to his lair so they can uh, go on with their night. And, uh, you know, Lady Death once again turns on him. So this guy, he just can't get it done at all. <laughs> well, and what's interesting, too, is I'm curious because now it seems like this is, in a lot of ways, setting her up as like a heroic figure, right? Yeah, and I think they're doing a face turn here for her. I think they're trying to bring her back a little bit, you know, separate her from the devil portion of herself, you know, bring some purity into her character. I think there was a definite concerted effort to make her a little bit more likable, I guess, to the readers. You know what I mean? Because if you got you had a certain section of the fan base that may have been of Christian faith or something like that that may, you know, not wanted to pick up this particular book because of this, you know, situation with her into demonology and, you know, being a minion of hell and, you know, a servant of Lucifer and all the different things that go into her character when into at the end of the day what she really wanted was freedom. But boy was she taking the the you know the long way home there to get there. <laughs> yeah, and it's definitely, you know, it's more like again that she comes from a purity standpoint. Life circumstances yes. took her in this direction. And then now that she's kind of reclaimed herself, it's interesting because they also make a point that they keep saying that Lucifer can't create. He can only corrupt what has already been created. So for him, that was the big goal, right? Is I can take this creature that is so pure and then just like, you know, destroy her and, and pull her through the muck and shape her and reshape her into the way I want her to be. But now she's in charge. And I think that is one of the bigger criticisms that people that don't read the book would have, right? It's like, oh, well, she's just a sex object she's just all yeah. about you know the devil and all that kind of stuff but it's like no i mean if you read what the purpose of the story is there is like a full arc for her like she's really gone on like quite a journey in it it is pushing more in that other direction. So it's kind of fascinating how, again, getting familiar with the material takes you to that point. Now, we have to talk about the climax, Chris. So what does that lead us to in this final showdown? They're right at the cusp of the Nexus Gate. But on the other side is Heaven's Gate. And uh, Lady Death decides, wait a second, this could be my opportunity. Now, Lucifer right now is, you know, really, really winning this battle handily. Like, he's taking it to her. He's suffocating her. He's, you know, he's really on the verge of winning. And, you know, all she has left is her dignity, it says in the book. You know what I mean? And she's going to fight to her dying death. But luckily, she sees the Nexus Gate is open to Heaven's Gate. And she uh, thrusts Lucifer into Heaven's Gate. And he explodes. And that leads to Lady Death finally getting what she wanted all the time. And that's her freedom and independence. Yeah, I mean, it is an awesome battle. And I got to say, like, we get yet one more permutation of Lady Death here where she puts on this armor. And it's got, like, yes. you know, the 
this cool helmet that blocks her face, you know, and it is so cool, like, all the different versions they give us of the character. It's it's really cool, but, you know, the devil's using that against her. He's trying to, you know, rattle this armor. He's trying everything he can with his spells. He really beats her down. You know, the armor can't even protect her. She's just smoking this lady. But right as she's on the verge of death, she still has her wits about her. So, you know, this is this is not just a normal cheesecake character you got here. Again, like we discover with Billy Tucci, she, there's a lot more depth going on here. So I, I'm interested to see if the creators are, you know, creators with, a, you know, a background in faith, because there's a lot of discussion of heaven, hell, all the different things about the angels. You know, every single thing you can layer in here is on display. So, you know, if, if you're a person of, uh, of faith, maybe this might speak to you. I don't know. Yeah. So now let's let's just talk about the presentation here. You're talking about, yeah, the creators, what was involved here. So we have Brian Polito and Stephen Hughes, right? So Brian Polito is like the creator, the writer, the guy who's really giving life to the concept. But then you have Stephen Hughes, who is the artist. So what? is your take on the art in this book? I think the art is pretty good. I think uh, one thing that, that you know loses me a little bit is that sometimes the colors all blend together. You got like a yeah. lot of whites going on. So Lady Death is, you know, pictured with long flowing hair and that really fills up a lot of the panel, sometimes to the point where you have trouble deciphering what's, what's actually going on in the panel, you know what I mean? But it's pure 90s. I mean, you know, you got the bad girl look, you got the, you know, extremely over the top body type, you know what I mean? Which which would probably crush souls in 2021. It would start an online campaign of its own, I, I think, because there'd be people upset, offended from the, from people who are offended, you know, all kinds of stuff that would happen. But especially the panel work. I want to talk about the panel yes. work. Because every single page on this thing is like a beautiful wall poster. It's not like a nine panel grid you would see in like a classic comic book of the Silver Age, you know what I mean? This thing, like everything flows together. It's like a wonderful poster almost in every single page. And man, Lady Death just looks dynamic. I, I, I got to say, the artist really takes her to the next level. And uh, I love the visuals here in this thing, man. I don't know about you. What do you think? So I would agree, like, yeah, just the, there is no negative space. There's just, there's nothing left <laughs> on the page. Like, everything is covered in inks. They filled it. Yeah. But, I mean, the other part of it, like you said, the panel layouts, I find so interesting, because if you really look at them, the way they separate, you know, different sections and images, it's like a serrated edge, or it's like yes. flame, or it is like broken rock, or, it, you know, everything is like, it's actually got a very distinct, like, what, what they're trying to convey on the page, it becomes this jagged you know oh, it's evil it's crazy or like a lot of times it'll be like this kind of sparkly blue energy like lady death uses when she's blasting people you know and i would have loved to seen the original art pages for this thing because they must have been incredible to look at L looking at this with just with the the colors and the inks above it i mean it's really a sight to behold when you really break down the page layout because there's a lot of creativity going on in here yes it does get a little cluttered as you mentioned you know when you have like a million demons on a page or you have you know like the the battle back and forth so sometimes it might be hard to figure out which you know direction you're supposed to be following the dialogue and things like that yes there's a lot of repetition in the book too so if you reread some of the dialogue you're like okay well i just read that last issue oh okay i read it in the two previous <laughs> issues you're just restating it again you gotta fill some yeah. space i get it i get it <laughs> 
I tell you what, they were they were determined to make like each issue, you know, a jump on point. You know what I mean? And yeah. I think that was one of the the strengths of the series. And if you're reading it all together for the first time, it may be a little bit annoying because you're like, okay, I don't need an entire recap of every single Lady Death comic that came before it. But I tell you what, every issue catches you up with everything you need to know. There's nothing left on the table. They don't cheap out and do like three or four pages of like just script or these info pages like X Men does these days. You know, they they really go in depth with these recaps and origins but let me tell you something if you take away the origins and just have brand new story how much are you left with are you left with a single issue at all (laughs) there's not much moving forward in the story except for the final issue like that's the one where you feel like okay something has been accomplished here but it's only because you took two steps back because you're like wait wait no 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 you thought you beat lucifer you didn't so now you gotta actually beat him okay all right he's probably gonna be back in a later series (laughs) so really all you have here in this entire four issues you have like purgatory her playing mind games and then a battle with lucifer that's everything that happens in this four issues right there and everything else is origin related it's a jump off point because purgatory would get her own series following this so now it's purgatory on earth what are her adventures you know and of course (laughs) they mentioned here lady death the odyssey is the next series coming up after this and she would have many many more series and team ups and everything else it worked out but yeah I, i would say you know final thoughts on my side i i was very impressed i actually ended up reading through it twice and i didn't hate it the second time it wasn't like well i've already gone through all this it was like no there's new things to discover and new elements of the story new layers to uncover so i was actually very impressed although i will say for me the one issue of evil ernie that i've read i enjoyed way more than all of the lady death i read I seem to recall my issue of er, um, Evil Ernie is a, like an enhanced cover of some sort. Maybe yeah, it's the first that, issue. That's what I have. It's like a glow in the dark yeah. cover. Yeah, yes, the yeah, one yeah. I have. Yeah, and it's but that's just more. It's more earth based. It's got a little bit more of a sense of humor. Like there's actual Kiss references in the background. Ooh, like Evil Ernie yeah. killed Kiss. Like they're in a pile of bodies. You know, so <laughs> there's stuff like that where it, here it's just like you know demonic figures in hell and everything. You're like, yeah, okay, okay. It's very epic. But what about for you, Chris? What was your final takeaway i would like to see this character separated from the from the entire hell backdrop like you said you know i'm I'm interested to see her in other dimensions you know taking a trip to earth doing normal things and how she would relate to that sometimes it comes off a little bit heavy-fisted you know what i mean everything is heaven and hell god and the devil you know what i mean so over four issues, when you're hearing the same story over and 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 over again, you know, sometimes it is a bit much into one read. But I think one of my common complaints about comics in today's industry is that they're not accessible. And I think this was very much accessible. I think that for its time, it probably over-delivered, Adam, to be quite honest with you, because I think a lot of people look at this as like just a cheesecake book on the shelf. You know what I mean? Hey, look at these big white boobs and the big hair and the out-of-context body type and all that type of stuff. You know what I mean? So I think you get a little bit more than uh, than you think you actually would here, and I think this is a thumbs-up for me, sir. All right. Well, we certainly give you a thumbs-up for coming back around, but if you enjoyed our discussion here, hey, maybe you guys could work a little bit of your magic on social media. Get Brian Polito attention let him know that we're very interested to talk to him get his thoughts about this rise of lady death in the comic book landscape in this era and uh, we'd love to get him for a special edition of the wizard files but chris thanks again for joining us remind the people where they can find you talking about comics on the web 
let's start with Twitter. I'm at Charlton underscore hero over on the Twitter. And if you want to engage into some chats about comic books, how about some vintage toys? Maybe GoBots. Hey, I'm your guy. <laughs> so hook me up over on Twitter. You can also hear me over on the Chris and Reggie Network. We have our little podcast going called Quester Days. If you're into the ElfQuest stories and comic books, join us for the Marvel Epic Run coverage over on Quester Days with myself and Mr. Christian. And that's me, sir. Now, let's get on to the rest of the episode. Hey there, geeks. We're just taking a break from the show to tell you about our sponsor this holiday season, Fun.com. And stay tuned, because you're going to learn how you can get 20% off at Fun.com. But why Fun.com? Well, they have everything you need for the pop culture lover in your life. But of course, they have a wide selection of superhero and comic book based gifts as well. Let me just tell you some of the stuff that I was looking up and was super impressed by. First of all, have you ever wanted to have a fully decked out Batman 1989 bedroom? Well, right now you can get a three piece comforter set and a rug to go on the ground. Man, living in your own little bat cave every morning how about a something for your furry pal a venom squeaker toy for dog let eddie brock get slobbered on for once looking to get a little bit more high class how about the dc comics star labs desktop stationery set yep you could write some official memos direct from star labs if you've got a wonder woman in your life why not hook her up with a single brew coffee maker branded with the wonder woman symbol and a seven quart wonder woman slow cooker you add a little bit extra fun to the kitchen with a batman logo two slice toaster it'll toast the bat signal right onto your toast but hey if you want to get some marvel in your morning how about a seven inch black panther waffle maker yep get that black panther logo right on your waffle for that crunchy delight now i'll tell you what i think i'm gonna invest in myself is a set of power rangers geeky tiki cups they look like they're carved out of wood and colored in the style of each ranger but of course they've got funko pop figures all sorts of t-shirts and of course those exclusive christmas sweaters with logos of your favorite comic book heroes and villains how do you get in on the action well all you gotta do is click on the link in our show notes and it'll take you direct to the website where it'll pop up and tell you your 20 percent discount is now activated and you will get 20 percent off your order from fun.com the best part is if you have a little extra cash hanging around after the holidays you want to get a little something for yourself well this offer is good through january 7th 2022 so be sure to do your shopping this holiday season at fun.com and now back to the show all right gang so you know one of the things that we mentioned was part of the comedy in this first april fools edition of wizard was the top 10 heroes and villains of the month They switched it up to say the top 10 heroes of villains of the month 
we'd like to see dead. So these are their top 10 terrible characters, and I think it'll be interesting to see where uh, this goes. So number one is Aunt May. Yeah, we know she was involved in that whole death thing over in Amazing Spider-Man number 400, but Aunt May had it coming for years. The old bat's been through like 60 heart attacks, 45 strokes, and had to fling with Doc Ock and the Vulture. Can you picture swapping spit with a guy named Otto? That can't be healthy. What the hell are wheat cakes? She's been making the damn things and stuffing them down Spidey's throat nonstop for 30 years now. She's like a Terminator. She absolutely will not stop until you are fed. And how can she not know PD is Spidey? Nobody is that stupid. So come on already. Offer for good, or offer clone, and have the real Aunt May show up as Scarlet May. Just do something that involves chucking dirt on her. <laughs> the Scarlet May. That would have been pretty hilarious. I always remember that her trading card from the original Marvel Universe trading card series said that she was part of a group called the Grey Panthers, which always cracked me up. Anyway, number two is Warrior. Warrior? Warrior? What the hell happened to Guy Gardner? Jeez, you stopped reading JL or whatever for a couple years and boom, he all goes to hell. So what happened? Guy Gardner used to be this character that you love to hate. He was so obnoxious and full of himself and it was great. He had some of the best moments in comics. Batman punching him in the nose, his raucous battles with Lobo, his hilarious dates with Ice. Man, it was great. Anyway, now that he's the big roid head, armor shape changing big gun guy, he bites. Come on. What was once a great, unique, emotion invoking character is now just another guy who beats people up. Double PU on this guy, seeing as how he used to be a neat character. Number three, Jason Todd. Yes, this one's already dead. Woohoo! Yes, sir. Robin 2. Jason Todd was one of the most annoying characters to ever soil the comics page. So annoying, in fact, that he made this here list because we'd like to off him again. So how did the boy not so wonder croak? It was great. You see, in Batman number 427, the Joker beat Jason unconscious with a crowbar. So much so, in fact, that the Joker's white gloves were red with blood afterwards. God, I love detail. Then left him along with his mother and a bomb in a warehouse, and just as Batman showed up, kablooey! Big explosion. The kicker here, though, was that at the end of this ish, DC printed a phone number which fans could call to decide if the explosion was lethal or not. Three cheers for fandom for offing this little... <laughs> Man, just literally pissing on the grave is what I feel like of Jason Todd. Of course, he has come back, been redeemed as the Red Hood. I think most people enjoy that character these days. Let us know. The Red Hood, was that a good move? Number four is Nanny? What the hell is this? A pause Easter egg gone bad? So what freaking Silver Age DC book did we pull this winner out of? Sorry, but this here gem of a character is an X-Men villain, and along with her big robot companion Orphan Maker was quite the bird their britches. So anyway, aside from just looking lamer than the worst Legion of Superheroes member, Nanny had some really cool superpowers, like standing there, pointing, and doing stuff, but what a cool action figure! She would make? Come on, look at all them neat bells and stuff. You could have Commando Nanny, Deep Sea Nanny, and how far can I throw this piece of crap, Nanny? Surefire collectibles. <laughs> Are you any of you X-Men fans claim Nanny is your favorite villain? Alright, up to number five. Jack Flag. Jack is more like it. Where do these guys come from? He's like some bad guest star from the Super Friends cartoon. Anywho, this Captain America supporting character is one of the worst of the bunch. First off, 
lame origin. Gets punched into a shelf full of chemicals, then finds himself possessed of superpowers. Retro 70s storytelling at its best. Plus, he's got red, white, and blue hair. It didn't look good when Cindy Lauper used to do it, and it don't look any better now. And most importantly, he's got this keen boombox he carries around on his shoulder that can shoot laser beams and make orange sherbet. I'd give ten bucks to point that bad boy at his noggin and press play. Wow, Jack Flag. I kind of want to investigate this character more now. Has he been redeemed in the pages of Marvel Comics somewhere? I mean, most of all, I'm just looking at the character design. Did Jim Lee rip off Jack Flag for Grifter? He's got the red bandana hanging mask thing that is 100% Grifter. Somebody fill me in, geeks. All right, number six. Magnus's kid. Remember the good old days when Magnus Robot Fighter had a point? Boy, those were the days. Anyway, what we have here is a mistake on a grand scale, culminating with the birth of this little ponytail-wearing weasel. Here's what happened. Magnus Robot Fighter, having begun its slide into the pits of comic despair, pretty full pit these days, had this big blowout Malev War storyline which bit ass and really screwed up the book. Then apparently, after they realized how much it bit, Valiant ended the war, jumped ahead like 16 years, and gave us President Magnus. His wife, Leisha, and the rebel without a cause son, Torque. The only thing that stayed the same? The quality of the story. Yeah. So anybody who doesn't know, though, Torque, the whole idea was that he eventually became a member of Harbinger, but it didn't make sense because it's like he's from the future. But anyway, it's really strange. All right, number seven is Troll. Hey, looks like all that coffee has finally stunted Wolverine's growth. Poor little guy. No, he'll never score with Jean Grey. Everybody knows that short people never get any. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. This is that puck guy. Boy, does this guy suck. What kind of superhero is it? midget with a big P on his chest. The only team that could take this guy as a member would be Alpha Flight. That whole team should be on this list. We should... What? Who? Troll? Oh. Uh, we don't know anything about this guy, so we'll just jump ahead of the number eight. Okay, well, aside from calling little people midgets, which is not okay, and the fact that our guest on episode 45, Michael May, might have something to say about Alpha Flight sucking, and the fact that the Troll Holiday Special was just shared with us by Mike, aka 50 Cent Comic Collector on Instagram, it sounds like the Wizard was ticking off a whole lot of members of our Wizard's extended family here. Alright, number eight, the Infinity War Doppelgangers. Ugh, the Infinity Gauntlet ruled, but its sequel, the Infinity War was one of the worst series on the planet, and we won't even go into the Infinity Crusade. <sighs> you see, instead of coming up with some neat new characters for the heroes to fight, or some new stories involving some existing supervillains, or some seldom seen supervillains, we were treated to evil, twisted versions of our heroes. Again, how many times is this trick going to be used? And why did some of these buggers, like the Spider-Man double, now dubbed the Doppelganger, stick around? Not enough Spidey clones already? One more example of Milk and the Cow, Bone Dry. So I've only read one issue of the Infinity War tie-in books and it was an issue of Nomad where there was a Gambit doppelganger and I was totally lost. I didn't know what was going on. All right, number nine, Hero Zero. The name says it all. Next. Number 10, Starro the Conqueror. In a nutshell, he's an evil starfish from outer space bent on world conquest. Ouch. Hey, come on. Starro just starred in a movie. I mean, if you look at all these characters, there's only one of them who's been in a movie outside of Aunt May. And Aunt May really is just a joke. Don't kill Aunt May. We love Aunt May. But Starro the Conqueror, uh. Right, well, there you have it. The top 10 heroes and villains of the month. We'd like to see dead.
So one section we don't often cover, and in fact, I don't know if we've ever covered it, maybe using it only for our long gone Punisher's price guide segment, but Wizard, right before the Market Watch section, would always have these two half page pieces, one called Comic Watch and the other called Good and Cheap. And so they would always try to give you tips, right? Like, oh, keep an eye on this. It might be worth something because there's a storyline coming up or a lot of people overlook this book and it's worth reading or whatever. So here's what they had to say as part of their April Fool's Day gags. Action Comics number one. You will believe a man can fly. Come on. You know you've heard it somewhere, though for the life of us, we can't remember where that phrase is from. Anyway, after reading Action Comics number one, a really cool comic, you'll most definitely become a true believer. It stars the sole survivor of the planet Krypton Superman in a nifty high-flying adventure. This guy, who wears blue tights and a red cape can see through things, has heat vision, and as you guessed, pretty much can fly. Or at least leap really, really high. Good thing he's on the side of good, or we'd all be in for some serious trouble. Now, what makes this particular issue one to watch is the fact that Superman seems to be getting pretty popular with the kiddies these days. And this here issue houses his first appearance. The Kryptonian is getting hot so fast, in fact, that he's actually going to be getting another regular title soon. The quarterly Superman, the man of tomorrow. Anyway, in action number one, not only do you meet Superman, but you get to see that style and babe Lois Lane. Boy, is she ever a knockout. So if you want some serious kicking fun, pick up a copy of Action Comics number one. Issues seem to be getting pretty scarce, though, so you'd better grab them fast. You might want to start looking at those bargain bins now before prices on this bad boy start going through the roof. You can't go wrong with action number one. <laughs> Oh, if only in another universe, right? <laughs> now, on the good and cheap section, they've crossed out good with a big X, and it just says cheap. The Adventures of Kool-Aid Man. Yes, this was a Marvel Comics production. I actually have this in one of my log boxes. Oh, yeah. The search is finally over. This is one of those beauties that's lost in back issue bins until the true bargain hunter starfs it up. With more action than a superhero wedding issue, more pages, 36, than ye old king-size annuals, a stunning cover by John Romita Sr., and the unbridled talents of Jim Salakrup and Dan DiCarlo, The Adventures of Kool-Aid Man is better than a whole gallon of the sweet red stuff itself when you're just 30 seconds shy of heat exhaustion. I mean, where else can you get so much for your money? You get two, count them two, action-packed stories like The Thirsty Strike Out and Thirsted Space. There's a particularly practical how to build your own Kool-Aid drink stand to help guide, and a whole slew of mind-boggling puzzles and super ads. Plus, you'll see the coolster in his coolest costume to date at his finest, slinging one-line zingers at the villains faster than Spidey on even his best day. All in all, we're talking extra special here. Reserve a vacuum pack now, or you're gonna regret it years down the line. <laughs> oh, the adventures of Kool-Aid Man. Yeah, that's a piece of nostalgia though, and just to throw in what's something extra special with that, I actually was at a thrift store recently, I frequent them quite a bit, looking for old treasures, and I found a used can of Kool-Aid from the 1980s, probably about the time that that particular issue came out. It was for their raspberry flavor. You know, it tells you it makes 10 quarts on here. This is before the days where they gave you Kool-Aid points where you could send in stuff. There's nothing like that on here, but it is just such a cool little piece of nostalgia. 100% sugar sweetened. Was that a selling point? Anyway, I just, I love it, and it sits here with many of my other vintage snack boxes, and so just thought I'd share that with you, and, and that does it for this mini-episode. Yes, another edition of Wizard's Half in the can. Hope you 
enjoyed it. Thank you so much for joining me. For those of you who choose to listen to these episodes, listen to me yapping. I hope that I'm providing as much entertainment as I can. Now, here's the thing. I want to give you a heads up for episode 46, guys. This is an extra special episode. We are having actual wizard staffers on this episode. We have Brian Cunningham, longtime editor, and Sean Ani, who is not only the Toying Around columnist, but a comic book store owner himself. Guys, the stories that they shared, I just recorded this episode, and it was fantastic. Like, there is so much behind-the-scenes stuff, but also just anecdotes from the world of comics, creators, all these people that they've been involved with over the years. Fascinating, but also really entertaining. So, I gotta tell you, this has kind of been a dream to have more Wizard alumni on the actual episodes with us, and this did not disappoint. So, stay tuned, tell your friends, subscribe, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, just to get those numbers up, get the word out, keep sharing on social media. Of course, we are on Twitter at Wizards Comics, on Instagram at Wizards underscore comics. We're on YouTube. Like I say, we're hoping to get some more videos put together. If there is a type of video that you would like us to do, why don't you shoot us a line? Let us know at wizardscomicspod at gmail.com. Also, thanks to all of you guys who have offered to come on as guests in the absence of Michael and Steven. The guest list is filling up and it looks like we have a lot of fun conversations coming in the future. But in the meantime, keep your books bagged and boarded. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.